Welcome to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore the gap in common understanding of digital technology, media, and culture. Here, we discuss solutions with the people working to enact change that places people first. Today, we welcome New York Assemblyman Ron Kim, a lawmaker focused on capturing unvalued work for a caring society, building an inclusive monetary system, and seeking justice for nursing home residents. I think for the first time, you know, when people look at the image of, of how George Floyd was, was murdered by the police officer, we're not just seeing the racial injustice, but we're actually connecting the dots, you know, for all the injustices that led to that moment. And it's not the first, people have talked about this for decades. You know, Martin Luther King, before he passed away, he transitioned into economic justice. And he kept saying, there is no justice in this world without economic justice. You know, and I think people are finally arriving at that point, what that means. Ron discusses how his project, the Inclusive Value Ledger, will empower people and build more resilient communities. He also looks at an elected official's role in battling digital disinformation and the realizations people are coming to in light of George Floyd's murder. Make sure to check out digitalvoid.media for more information about our upcoming virtual salons and workshops. So I've been a, a state lawmaker since 2013. I arrived in public service through the lens of protecting immigrants and small business owners. You know, my parents were both immigrants that came here when I was seven years old, and they ran a Korean grocery store in Upper Manhattan. I don't know if you grew up in New York City, but, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, there was a Korean grocery store in every block. And after we opened up a store 10 years later, I've experienced and have personally seen them file bankruptcy and go through a lot of pain and suffering and dealing with personal debt, financial debt. Um, and it took me, um, and I spent the majority of my adult years trying to understand uh, exactly what happened to people like my parents. Uh, they came here, they immigrated here, and they believed in the, you know, the so-called American dream um, to find out that the whole thing was just not working, you know? And it took me a long time to understand what that really meant um, and trying to connect those dots. And that's how I arrived in politics and in seek of real economic justice and empowering individuals, you know, and and just centering everything around um, empowering individuals again, which, which, you know, sounds like something that we should already have. Um, But when you really look at it, we do not. The idea of America versus its reality, especially in our most recent past of what we're witnessing literally in real time as what I would call like a, a revolution of sorts that, that is part of what America is built on is, is these consistent revolutions. But I think what people forget to recognize is that it is not as inclusive as many people uh, consider it. And I think small business owners hurt as is, but black indigenous and people of color don't have the same equal opportunity or access points it matters that people start businesses and the free market is there, but it has to be part of something that is accessible. Right. And it can't be rigged in a way that it has become over the last 40 years by design. You know, you can't, we can't allow, we can't tell small business owners that we care about you and we should shop small, yet the entire system favors the bigger mega corporations where we're literally subsidizing them to get bigger, to dominate and extract as much value and money out of out of everyone on the bottom. And and yet, and that's what happened and, and for the Black and Hispanic and 
indigenous people, like we constantly, we are constantly pitted against them as minorities. And that's been, you know, the normalized narrative for the last 30, 40 years where Asians are pitted against blacks, you know, and we're constantly fighting each other, but we're at a moment, we're at a standstill where for the first time in my adult life, you know, Asian Americans that have never stood in solidarity are standing up now and saying, this is not right. This is not working for any of us. The invisibility issue that also comes with America is that people who aren't prominent or name brands don't often get recognized in general. But then when business comes into play, it it not only does uh, the subtle microaggression of racism come into play, but just the invisibility action of uh, bypassing that, not prioritizing uh, Asian-owned businesses or minority-owned businesses too. Yeah, and I think for the first time, you know, when people look at the image of of how George Floyd was was murdered by the police officer, we're not just seeing the racial injustice, but we're actually connecting the dots, you know, for all the injustices that led to that moment. And it, it's not the first people have talked about this for decades. You know, Martin Luther King, before he passed away, he transitioned into economic justice, and he kept saying. There is no justice in this world without economic justice, you know, and I think people are finally arriving at that point. What that means. Yeah, we could put a Band-Aid on police reform. We could do some tinkling here with the law. But unless we have a fundamental shifting of our economy uh, where we're levering the field, unless we stop spending 52 percent of the federal income money toward the military and actually spend majority of that toward taking care of our families and schools, we're not going to go anywhere. I think people understand that now, and that's why they're out there protesting every single day. The sadness of, of what American uh, minorities experience isn't just the carceral experience of just the police, the state violence that's against them, but you're, I think your approach to the financial injustice is extremely important to recognize. People being left financially illiterate is part of the design. It's part of the the construct is that we're not supposed to know that this way we trust bigger businesses, we trust financial institutions. And that trust is misplaced because it's predatory. It's not designed for the public. It's not designed for the people and specifically not designed for minorities or and or people of color or ways that somebody prosperous uh, ideas can even flourish in a space where knowledge isn't there. So can you tell us a little bit about your projects and some of the things you're working on to, to work against that? Absolutely. Um, to that point, you know, our financial markets and our monetary system is has been normalized, has been normalized to be highly extractive and all through design, meaning these private banks and private merchants, including some of the latest tech companies like, you know, Venmo is still very, you know, um, data driven and, and extractive driven. So unless we empower our people to start transacting and really exchange value because that's what money has always been about it's about storing expressing and exchanging value just think about that it's not about hoarding and extracting value from the bottom it's it's always about peer-to-peer exchange of value so how did our monetary system become a medium where everyone else who is in a position of power gets to extract from the bottom and and one way to truly offer a solution is to create a system, a public option saying, hey, we're not going to charge you a dime and we're going to give you your self-sovereign identity 
where we're not going to ask you about your status, whether you're an undocumented or whatever. You know, we're going to give you your self-sovereign identity, and you can now start exchanging value in, in an economy, and you can come out of the shadows, and you don't have to be part of an informal sector anymore. You don't have to be unbanked. Um, and that's what the inclusive value ledger is about, that we, this is a public Venmo system that would empower local economies, the traditionally unbanked communities, undocumented immigrants to come out and trust a monetary system where they can actually contribute openly without sacrificing their privacy. Um, and it can be done. We already have brilliant minds and tech companies that are aligned that are in the blockchain space and they know exactly what what the value it's not about bitcoin and making money of you know exchanging these current you know current you know uh, cryptocurrency it's like blockchain can can really just unfold a whole nother world of empowering individuals and i think we need to get there sooner than later i think you're right i think a few years ago there was I think well, a few years ago, now it's a decade ago, after the financial crisis, there's a big call for uh, people to start investing into their, their credit unions rather than right. going into big banks, you know, try to keep that money away from the predatory system. So this sounds like a, a more peer-to-peer system, more uh, more of a uh, close-knit, personalized version of a, a credit union with by also using the blockchain, the data systems that are out there. Can you can you speak a little more technically about it? If yeah, you like? yeah. So the the idea here is that um, every locality and state in the country they have uh, public benefits that we give out to people. You know, and whether it's healthcare benefits or small tax credit for a small business or individual tax credit, there's in, in places like New York we have upwards of. 55 to 60 billion dollars of public benefit dollars that we distribute, but it's very rigid, right? So, so you if it's like for home care or uh, nursing home care, you can only spend it toward that particular purpose. Um, but if you look at companies and and corp- big, the bigger the company, the bigger the corporation, when they get a tax break or a tax subsidy credit, there's actually a whole secondary market where they actually trade those credits and and liquidate those credits for real cash, like right away. So for example, if Amazon, let's say they won that bid and they got a $35 billion, you know, billion dollar subsidy to come to New York, they could have, uh, instead of waiting 10 years to collect it all, they could have sold that in an open market um, for $10 billion today. But imagine if you can now do that with your own personal benefits by making the benefit system fluid uh, more liquid and fungible. So if I know that I have these benefits, that for example, a nursing home crisis, right? Like I have my I have my mom in a nursing home, and she's getting a hundred dollars a day in Medicaid benefits. In during the crisis, I don't trust the nursing home. I want to take her home. I want to get home care. What if if I can just transfer the hundred dollars of Medicaid, which is for her, to pay for home care? That's what the, that's what our solution IVL would do. It would make benefits very fluid and centered around the need of the individual. Right now, we can't even do that. We would have to pass like five laws, you know, to just to do that by design. Again, by design to award nursing home corporations who prey on Medicaid profits. So everything. 
everything is about secondary markets, intermediaries taking a cut, and we need to stop it right away. How can we know more about these things? How can we get access to that type of information? Uh, aside from having very good elected representatives who may tell us, but how could, how could the public actually know about this? Um, I think the more we just pay attention to the problems um, of why there's lack of resource and funding and benefits, and, the, and if we spend a little bit of time peering the layers away, I think most of us will arrive at the same conclusion. Um, it's hard, but it's hard mm-hmm. when every day we've become desensitized to the reality, the truth. Um, because and, and again, that's also by design. You know, we watch TV. And we, it, just, just for example, when you turn on TV, how many freaking commercials do you see about about oh? Unity, come along, moving forward. You know, it's about, and we're gonna have a parade for you, for all the volunteers, all the essential workers. It's all about feel goodness to get people to consume again, right? Right, to get people to buy again. Oh, like 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 I saw a car ad that's saying, "We hear your pain, we hear your trauma. That's why we're giving you zero percent interest rate on on our vehicle for the next two years." I'm like, <laughs> okay, like this is like, and 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 when you're when you're looking to check out because of the pain and trauma you're feeling. And when you hear those messages, it makes you feel good. You get addicted to it. And that's how you become desensitized to the truth. And we just become consumers. What we need in this moment are consumers to become producers. There's a word for that. It's called a prosumer, Mm. right? We need to actively uh, in our local homes, uh, in our local neighborhoods, local communities, Instead of consume, we could pro, we could become prosumers, meaning contribute to local economy, the caring economy, peer to peer, like yeah. grow your own energy. You know, like we can do all sorts of creative things to disrupt. You know, these this top down extractive models. But again, we can't achieve that unless we have a foundation to exchange um, our value and build trust, which is what the IVL strives to do. You're working to create a more compassionate economy, and IVL in creation and execution is asking people to place their trust in public infrastructure. How do you work to achieve trust when trust in government and media is low to begin with? And what would you say are the core principles of the caring economy? And how can we work to connect with our neighbors to forge solidarity and yeah, build a robust digital infrastructure that places trust and empowerment above paranoia and division? Trust. We used to be good at this, you know, 40 years before 1980, we actually used to practice antitrust laws. We used to go after the big corporations Mm -hmm. when they monopolized the markets to give the little guys a chance to breathe and survive and thrive. We stopped doing that because we shifted toward a 100% consumer-driven economy. So if you're big enough and as long as you're satisfying the end consumer, you're good to go. Amazon can be vertically integrated with every single sector and dominate every single market space. But as long as you get your Amazon you know, box within 24 hours you know, when you press purchase, we're good. We're looking the other way. It doesn't matter how many workers died on the warehouse because we completely, we completely become desensitized and we dehumanize those workers you know, through pop culture and through the media. 
And so how do we how do we how do we regain that trust? I think first thing we need to rebuild antitrust. We need to break some companies up. We need to signal to the public that we're serious about protecting our local economies. Other nations are already doing it. Other other European countries are already launched full-scale antitrust violations against companies like Amazon and Facebook. We need to do that as well. And once we do that, then we can create opportunities to build not only IVL, uh, but more worker-friendly models, worker cooperatives, worker-owned, worker-led. I mean, those are the options to really empower the people again. Um, but it's going to take a couple of steps for us to get there. But ultimately, you know, I'm also, you know, skeptical in the long run whether we even need anything, any centralized system to run a system like a, a peer-to-peer IVL system. And I think that's what blockchain offers too. You know, you know, if we can build this on a chain, yeah, we don't need uh, a centralized government or state or a private market. Um, as long as we're able to launch a self-sovereign identity and people are tr- can trust that identity, it'll be 100% decentralized and it'll be peer-to-peer. I want to go back. Uh, you're speaking right to our heart here when you're talking about like antitrust. I mean, that's our big feeling is these companies have become too big and they kind of funnel all the information through them at this point. And one of the things we've been focusing on and my personal research is platform capitalism. People are blind to the idea that the, 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 only, the only criticism I have of prosumerism is that depending on where you're doing it is that you're still benefiting the big platforms. So it is good, in my opinion, to decentralize, to, to come away from the, the major platforms. But what happens when like this, the systems itself become big enough that they become attractive to these uh, companies? Like, how do you keep the local strong? How do you empower people to stay with their local systems? I think, I think you have to start with small networks and grow from there. And people are already doing that in different ways. Uh, for, and it doesn't, have, it doesn't necessarily have to be starting from blockchain. Uh, if you look at Bristol, London, you know, they have their own local currency system called the Bristol Pound. And they create a local community that share their own, own community currency system. If you look at um, Massachusetts, the Berkshires, they've been running their own community currency system for, for a few years now where 400 plus businesses came together and literally printed their own money so, and building peer-to-peer trust. And they actually, so when you go into the neighborhood, you get five cents on the dollar um, as an incentive to trade in you know, the, the, the dollar. And, and, and you design it in a way that you reward the circulation of that dollar and they track it, right? So you know, they know how much the dollar has circulated in their local community and creating new value to that neighborhood. So, there, and there's there's about 4,000 of these types of local currency designs that are not on blockchain around the world. Um, and so we already modeled it out. There's already trust built at the local level. We just need to go back and complement them with some of the latest technologies that they can now start using uh, to to make it even more efficient and effective. So these systems, these platforms, they're obviously not just complicit in disinformation. They're part of the disinformation flows. And when I say disinformation in this case, I literally mean information that hurts people in in exactly what you're saying, that the small networks are beneficial to citizens, but the big systems obviously see that as a threat. So they're part of the way of dissuading people or disinforming people about what those things are. 
how as a representative are you getting that information to the, the citizens in in the most the most efficient way? Like, how do you get that to them without feeling like you're coming off as abrasive or threatening or telling them something that makes them feel like they've been swindled by bigger systems? Right. You gotta. You gotta. You got. You have to make um, local and being small profitable. You know, and I think, so right now everything is designed to be to be profitable when you scale. At, you know. At, at, at large and when you start everything is based about growth 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 you know it doesn't matter what kind of growth as long as you're expanding you're, you're buying up other companies that's how you get the profit margins but it's all sham because at, at the end of the road these companies are constantly asking for tax breaks and subsidies to survive so you're not that profitable you're actually just extracting and literally looting money out of us all the time and so 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 the idea that bigger is better is actually a complete sham in the 21st century maybe maybe like when we had the railroad system and and and, and we were in the oil and, and and we had to get from point a to point b with large machines and vehicles like 100 years ago maybe the vertical integration of larger companies could have been more efficient but like Everything we do in a small business, all you need is a smartphone. You, you don't need anything else. You don't need a million-dollar company to be efficient, you know, in the 21st century. So we have the tool. You have the basic tools that are affordable, and but and, and and all those tools are going to only get cheaper because the marginal cost of technology it will always go near zero once it's out there. Um, so what I'm saying is like we just need to start. Stop subsidizing, break up the companies, and just don't get involved. Don't pick winners. And if you don't pick winners, I promise you small businesses and local economies will be more profitable again. And if you look at places like North Dakota, um, it's a great example where they, where they banned um, corporate change, uh, pharmacy chain stores. And um, they, everyone was saying, oh, the price is going to go up and the consumer will be. No, they actually kept the price even lower. Than, than states that have CVS because as, as a collective local uh, group, they're able to negotiate the pricing better. Um, so, so all the narratives out there around the bigger is better model um, is, is, is no, longer, no longer applies in the modern economy. Yeah. Again, that's like part of that platform capitalism is that disinfo does likely better than real info. And that's a that's a problem, especially for marginalized communities who don't really have a recourse of action to fight back against that because the the network size. Like just the fact that people were pushing back on you means that you're you've got power and you've got a you're threatening that system, that that comfort system that was built into it. In a weird way, not to say it's good, is this to say that there it's recognized that you have a way of pushing back at it, which is nice. Like to build off of what you said before is about the fundraising that IVL is doing in these small networks, especially in context of the most recent situations in New York City and around the United States. Um, do these systems, they could work to help small organizations and even help protesters get um, bail or support systems, especially in the situation where the $1,200 wasn't enough for support? Is that is that part of this as well? Yes, that is the, the billion dollar question. Because and I, I don't know if you ever read uh, Plato growing up, um, but if you read the allegory of the cave, like if you're the messenger to tell a group of people in a cave that never seen light in their lives and, and you tell them 
there's something better. There's light out there. You know, most likely they're gonna kill you because they're gonna think they're gonna think crazy. Um, you know, so it's it's a tough act to um, empower and show the truth of what what a be- what a better model is. And you have to pick your time and messaging. And I think that's that's what politics is also about. And there are there are a few of us who feel the same way that it's about the responsibility of of being elected official is to use our soapbox and platform to leverage our voice to to earn people's trust and exp- and and unlearn some of the bad habits and beliefs that we've had to strive toward the ultimate truth. Truth, and it's not. It, but of course, but the majority of politicians. I, you know, it's it's no different than being part of an Amazon company. You know, they just want to fit in and and they sell false hope to people to keep, to keep them on the treadmill to consume to continue to just behave market friendly, and they call it a day. They they that's how many politicians see their role as just the just the ultimate salesman for the market to continue to exist. I think, I think now it's, it's more critical than ever um, to stop doing that. <laughs> we need, yeah, I, think, I think the elected officials need to step up and really, do, really, really strive to tell the truth. People have a hard time trusting technology with their finances. Can you explain a little bit about how IVL ensures the security of its people? Yeah, so IVL would give what every individual a potential self-sovereign identity an ssid and once you know someone has this id it is completely it'll be designed in a way that it can be hack proof and it can and and there will be peer-to-peer attestations to that person's identity and whether it's benefits or transferring money or benefits or information It'll be, it'll be part of a trusted ledger system that people know that this is coming from the right source and there's truth and it's verified by multiple sources in an instantaneous way. Right now, the system is designed where everyone relies on a centralized platform, right? When it comes when it comes about information, whether it's Facebook, the Asian community is WeChat or Kakao or WhatsApp. We have to go through a group of centralized stakeholders who control ultimately controls how that message is sped out back into the localities so this is this can be very dangerous so for example like over the weekend on Saturday um, someone spread this false rumor that there was a riot that was being organized and put my some of my political enemies they tell people on WeChat that I organized a riot to to go loot at a mall uh, a place that like I live next to right with my three daughters um, what well yeah they stay I don't know who created this post but that's the rumor that these my political enemies like started planting on on a, on a Chinese um, social networking app um, and obviously like you know and they were not even, well, not only that they were actually out there uh, live streaming the whole thing. There was nobody showed up. There was no protest, but they're out there, you know, telling people and live streaming 
hey, Ron Kim is the one that organized the protest today. Like, la, 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 la. like, so without a real peer-to-peer, verifiable, truth-telling technology, this can be replicated over and over and over, and it happens all the time. And and once it's out there, and they know how to leverage it, like once you once you have a couple of bots or whatever to, ver- to validate it and put it out there, it's it, it spreads like fire. I want to go back. Uh, you're speaking right to our heart here when you're talking about like antitrust. I mean, that's our big feeling is these companies have become too big and they kind of funnel all the information through them at this point. But what happens when the systems itself become big enough that they become attractive to these uh, companies? Like, how do you keep the local strong? How do you empower people to stay with their local systems? Yeah, uh, that was that's so before the um, the protesting and um, the the, the racial uh, injustice when it came into the pandemic, um, we were also positioned to help uh, people, undocumented, uh, essential workers who are, who are in the informal sectors who are not getting uh, traditional uh, stimulus money. Because if they had uh, an e-wallet on the IBL and, and we could attest to their needs through small circles, like a nonprofit organization, we could easily, literally, airdrop money, usable money, into their e-wallets on their zip codes. So just imagine that. Like you're, you don't have to get out and stand in a line at the Department of Labor to have some bureaucrat to put a stamp after six hours of waiting to to figure out how you get how you get unemployment benefits. And it, even when we do that, my constituents are waiting three months, two and a half months to get their first check because our centralized platform state system is overworked. So what did the, what did, what did the governor do? He punted it to Google and, and um, spent $85 million on, I think McKinsey or one of these companies, uh, Deloitte, Deloitte came in and they still haven't fixed it. But, but then Deloitte doesn't get to make their $85 million. Right. And, and they don't, and they, donate a lot of money to politicians. And so there's a whole secondary market off of it, government inefficiencies and our inability to execute benefits. We know how to do it. We, the, it's actually very simple. The tools are very easy. We have technologists that will build it for free for humanity, right, today. You know, if, 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 if Governor Cuomo wants to do it, but they won't do it because then... The IBMs, the Googles, the Apples, they don't get a piece of that pie and they get a big chunk of that pie. And what can people do if they want to stay up to date on the Inclusive Value Ledger? Um, we, do, we have a website, uh, inclusive.money, M-O-N-E-Y, um, so they can sign up and track on some of the stuff we're doing. We, we, we were recently covered by MIT Technology Review on how this is relevant uh, in this pandemic. Um, and obviously, even right now, when we have our, you know, our young activists who are peacefully marching, getting arrested and can't make bail, we could easily drop some money into their e-wallets and say, hey, we're here with you and we're going to, we can, we're going to take care of you. And that's, that, that in itself is a whole not, no not a topic because, you know, the police, they have completely full immunity when it comes to uh you know, police brutality, you know, there's being called qualified 
immunity and when they're in a uniform, they can literally get away with almost everything, uh, how reckless they behave, because they can, as long as they can somehow justify that they're, they're on the job. Um, we do the same thing, and I know we mentioned nursing homes. We did the same thing for nursing home executives, that the governor quietly gave them a, a get-out-of-free-jail card, immunity card, for nursing home executives before the peak of this pandemic, because they knew back in February, March, how bad it was going to get. And they, they decided, they made a conscious choice to protect their bottom line instead of everything they had to save the lives in the nursing homes. So we see it all around us, man. We see this, and we, we, it's more about protecting the centralized systems, you know, plaf- platform capitalism, and everything else in between is about, it's about propping the... Uh, protecting the bottom lines of these businesses and corporations, then really centering around solutions around people's needs. And where can people go to follow along with the latest that you are up to? Um, I'm, I'm at, at Ron T. Kim on Twitter. Um, you know, I always post my activities there. And you can also follow me on Facebook at RK4, number 4NY. Thank you for listening to the Digital Void podcast. For more information about Digital Void, including our upcoming salons, podcasts, and workshops, make sure to visit us at digitalvoid.media. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast provider. Make sure to leave us a five-star review. If you're posting to social media, use the hashtag digitalvoid. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at digivoidmedia at gmail.com to let us know about collaborations, sponsorships, and feedback.